Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hi everyone and welcome to Pixels, a podcast for the discerning gamer. Hello everyone and welcome back to Pixels. My name is Patrick Beja and we talk about video games. We talk about the news from the past couple of weeks and uh, to help me do that today I have the return of the dynamic duo Dan and Ed. Well, you're on the show together once, so I figured we'd do something <laughs> special. <laughs> um, Ed is of course with the 4Player Network. You've been on the show many times. Uh, welcome back. Yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, Daniel Ahmad is, uh, so how, I don't know how to describe you anymore. I would say uh, the best comedy tweet writer in the video games industry who also happens to double as a brilliant uh, analyst in that industry. Does that work for you? Yeah, I imagine it does. I mean, the second part is obviously the more professional sounding one that I prefer. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. but yeah, both work fine. And it's, uh, it's good to be back on. Thank you for being on. Um, yeah, I, I've been, you know, uh, of course, I avidly follow uh, everything you tweet. And <laughs> I see the, the, the ratio of humor um, in your tweets increase. So I think you're getting a little bit uh, um, more at ease with the Twitter, Twitter medium. And I like it. So I'm, I'm just sure. saying. <laughs> I mean, it'd be really boring if I just posted uh, random statistics and all that nonsense 24-7. So you've got to mix it up, bitch. Yeah, I agree. Now I, I feel, agree. now I feel like I'm not doing that well in my, in my Twitter uh, <laughs> space because of that. Thanks, Patrick. Well, you can learn from the master because he's here today. Yeah. So there you go. There you go. Um, all right, so we have a bunch of stuff we're going to talk about today. A few uh, news items for the Switch. Uh, as I like to joke now, it's basically uh, nonstop until the release, although that's going to happen really soon now. Um, and we have a few interesting numbers and announcements, most notably from Activision Blizzard, uh, who's reported re record numbers. We have news from Valve, uh, if you'll believe it. They have um, made a couple of announcements and a bunch of other things. Um, and just a quick note that this show is a little bit early because I'll be off next week. So if I don't tweet, it's either because I'm just uh, enjoying my holiday or because I've been abducted by the Russian secret service. So that's I, I'm going to be in Russia is why I'm saying. Um, so I'll be back a week after that. So if I don't show up on your Twitter feeds at that point, send help. Um, all right. That with that out of the way, um, news items for for the Switch. Uh, the biggest one, I obviously, is the announcement that there's going to be a DLC pack, a season pack uh, pass of sorts for uh, Breath of the Wild for Zelda. And the reaction has been mixed. Some people are thinking, ah, oh, you know, usual. 
DLC reaction. You're not giving us the full game. What is this? Zelda should be complete when you buy it. Rah, rah, rah. And uh, on the opposite side is, oh, that's interesting. We haven't had uh, season passes for Zelda before, for, for full Zeldas before. But uh, it's not like Nintendo hasn't been selling in-game content in the past. And I will see... Uh, as we'll see later in the show, in-game content is becoming a bigger and bigger deal all the time. So, um, any reaction to the season pack? It's going to be a uh, season pass. It's going to be 20 bucks, and it's going to have basically two pieces of content, one in summer and one in winter, with the winter one being new, um, actually a new adventure to go on. So I have no problems with like the the new adventure part. The The one that's in the summer, which is like a cave, it's called the Cave of Trials. And it's basically like any uh, like a lot of those Zelda games have like this uh, gauntlet that you have to go through to get like a heart piece or something like that. And it's pro- probably the hardest heart piece to get in the game. The fact that that's a DLC is kind of a little little weird. Um, I don't know what the reward is going to be for that. But if it's like uh, another heart container or something like that, then maybe that feels a little weird. But the extra content pack with a uh, new dungeon, new story, that's perfectly fine with me. I, I that doesn't bother me at all. Mm. Um, I, I just, I know that I, I love Zelda, so nothing's going to stop me from <laughs> getting this game. And, um, I'll probably wait till after the, the summer one comes out before I actually get the season pass. Um, to, or to make sure the winter it's worth one. it or yeah. 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 Um, I, I don't believe in buying any season passes before all the DLC comes out for it. Um, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Oh. Um, just so you, you need to, you should be aware of what you're buying. Uh, just like anything else. Fair enough. Daniel, I guess it didn't surprise you that uh, Nintendo is trying to get more money out of the super fans of Zelda while offering new content as well. Yeah, I mean, it's it's 2017, and uh, this kind of thing is expected from every company, even Nintendo. Mm -hmm. As you said before, you know, this is something that Nintendo have hinted at doing for a long time now. If you look at all their games on Wii U, uh, you know, Splatoon, Mario Kart, Smash Bros, they've all had some kind of add-on content or, you know, uh, in-game content, whether it's free or, or paid. And, and this is just the, the same thing here. And, yeah, I mean, what Ed said, you know, it's wise to, to, to wait and see what exactly is in those packs. But I think some, some people who've overreacted are treating it as, as if this is, you know, Assassin's Creed 2 back in 2009. <laughs> right, And right. Uh, all the all the DLCs on the disc and, uh, you know, it's all that nonsense. But, you know, today, the way it works is that the game has already gone gold. It's already finished development. Yeah. All this yeah. content has been developed after the game, and it's there to, you know, enhance the game for uh, people who might pick it up later, um, you know, people who pick it up on day one as well. And it helps keep them engaged and, and playing in that uh, title through the rest of the year. And I so think that's, that's a smart decision, right? Because they they sure. spent thousands upon thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars, maybe even millions on this game. And it's going to be their flagship title for the Switch. And they want people to stay in their, on their system and get engaged with it and talk about it. So... Uh, I, like I said, I have no problem with with them wanting to do this. If it gives me more content and brings me back into the game after I've already finished it, um, that's fine with me. When I picked up Skyward Sword and I finished it completely, 
Uh, I didn't go back to that game. Um, and Zeldas don't have... They, they have a lot of replay value in, in a nostalgia sense, but they don't have a lot of actual replay value. <laughs> as far as, like, once you solve the puzzles, you pretty much know them, right? So um, having entirely new pieces of content to consume um, in a Zelda game is something that we haven't seen before besides waiting for the next Zelda game. Right. It, it feels like this is... Agree. Oh, go ahead, Daniel. No, 100% agree with what yeah. I said. It's. I think it's a. It's a balancing act, and we've uh, sort of figured out in the industry what the right balance yeah. is. Because if you if you out you know if you uh, uh, take content out of the initial game, it if it feels like you take content out of the initial game uh, to sell it back as DLC afterwards, the consumer is going to feel that, and if they feel they're not going to get a fair deal, they're going to complain about it. Um, if you do provide enough content for that extra price, what ends up happening is that the most engaged audience, the most engaged gamers that want more out of the game and that would like to be immersed in that universe um, for longer can do that. And in the process, you're getting more money for it. So you're monetizing your most um, loyal and dedicated uh, customers. So it makes sense if it works like this. And on top of that, as we mentioned, in-game content is a huge part of the industry right now and uh there's no reason that anyone should be insulated for the, from these kinds of uh operations if again the balance is right so hopefully it will be here as well but it shouldn't be a surprise that nintendo is going there as well mm-hmm. um then uh i don't know if you guys saw these but there have been a number <laughs> of uh, one to switch commercials which i was very surprised about because they sort of did the unthinkable they made me think that uh, one two switch might be fun in some specific situations. Basically, it's Japanese ads that show uh, people playing one two switch in a crowd. It's uh, you know a bunch of people, maybe ten people around the two players, and there's often kids being involved, and and they're you know cheering for the people who who win and and yelling, and it's like this party game, not in the sense that you know, Wii Sports was a party game where the action would be focused on the game itself and on the screen, and people would cheer, of course, but it, it was more of a passive experience, whereas here, with these ads, it's like the... It's it's cheering as if it was like, I don't know, a, a tug war. An audience or, yeah, in some yeah. sort of performance, game, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I, I'm not saying I'm going to play it. I still think it's dumb if it's just two <laughs> players or whatever. Wii Sports could be played with two players. Here, it's really if, if you have a crowd. But I think in this context, it could I could see the fun in it. Maybe at a you know a kid's birthday party or something like this, maybe. So me going from this is the dumbest thing ever to eh, maybe <laughs> in the right conditions is kind of <laughs> incredible already. So I think the dumbest thing ever is that it's not uh, baked into packed the in, system. Yeah. Packed into the system, yeah. The, that's just that's just not cool, man. All, <laughs> if they want if they want anyone to buy to play this game and show off the new hardware, it should have been baked in. Um, well, they can always. I, I think they can always do release a demo. I think uh, afterwards with I, like three games. And... Well, I think what they're gonna do is by the time Christmas rolls around, they're gonna have uh, it packed it, a, a new like version of the console, quote unquote, packed in. Uh, with this game packed in, mm, yeah, um, like a bundle, 
But I, I think, um, you know, I really think the demo is going to happen three, four months down the line. And that, mm -hmm. as, a, as a demo of the capabilities of the console, works well enough. So if you have that from the beginning, then you lose out on the sales of that thing. So Yeah. And I, I had the Switch pre-ordered, so and I'm in the first day that I that I get it, I'm going to bring it into work, and all the engineers and we're all going to play it. So, of course, um, it's it, we're going to have a lot of fun and <laughs> with one annoy two all switch? the other. Do you have one yeah, two switch? Well, it's yeah, that's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm right. annoyed, but only enough that I can only talk about it because I'm buying it anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All I mean, right. I have no intention of uh, really getting it, to be honest. But, yeah, you're uh, resisting. You know, it, it looks okay. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm getting Zelda obviously on day one. That's about it until. I guess, oh, on the on the Mario Switch, Kart right, right. No, I thought you were saying you have no intention of getting uh, the Switch. Oh no, I'm getting I'm getting the Switch, but I, I don't have any intention of getting a one two Switch. Right. The uh, party game, which looks okay but isn't. <laughs> yeah the party <laughs> game that looks okay but isn't i think it's a great description of that thing and i'm not getting it either ed you're alone um That's there's okay. also a, a, a first person mode for ultra street fighter 2 uh that was kind of confirmed even though there were a few seconds in the presentation like first person person mode for street fighter 2 i don't i don't get it Anyway, that's not making it better in any way. But um, all right, let's move on to something else. Uh, numbers and announcements from Activision. We've had a few um, uh, end of quarter, end of year uh, things announced here and there. And Activision has been pretty amazing. I mean, for all of the things we're going to talk about, we have to keep in mind that they acquired King which uh, is a huge mobile game developer and publisher. And so King currently represents 25% of their total uh, revenue, but that's still their revenue increased from 4.6 billion in 2015 to 6.6 in 2016. That's kind of insane, even with uh, the inclusion of King, which you know represents a lot of that. The in-game content uh, we were talking about is 36% of that total, 6.6 billion. Again, King is probably a big part of that because there are a lot of free-to-play and that's all in-game content, but still. And um, digital represents 4.8 billion, which is more than the total for 2015. Once again, King has been acquired, so that is uh, something to keep in mind. But that's huge. Um, and talking about huge numbers, uh, any any learning, anything that surprised you, Daniel, in these uh, in these uh, yearly results? Well, for Activision Blizzard, really, it was more of a confirmation that the company's now become the you know huge entertainment company that they wanted to become. You know, a decade ago, I think one stat in particular that really you know uh, struck me was that they said in 2016 alone, uh, you know, players spent 43 billion hours watching and playing Activision Blizzard games, mm -hmm. which is actually more uh, more hours than people spend watching Netflix content. Mm. And so that's a um, really interesting stat that just shows me that, you know, these guys have got uh, a great portfolio of games and, and content across uh, mobile, PC, console now. 
And, uh, you know, there's some good things coming out. I mean, Blizzard had a great year last year with the introduction of uh, Overwatch and, uh, you know, the Warcraft movie and uh, a new expansion pack for World of Warcraft as well. And, you know, Blizzard actually generated more than Activision last year, which is a first for, uh, you know, I think ever. Mm, it's and, uh, Blizzard is 39% of their revenue and Activision 36 mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was a record year for Blizzard. Um, again, thanks to Overwatch and uh, Warcraft. And Legion, yeah. And I, but, and I think that the the majority of that $4.8 billion is digital sales from Blizzard. Um, yeah, I mean, just it's, because, it's because of over, um, Overwatch... Um, well, uh, no, remember there's King, and they also have a lot of uh, in-game content and digital for uh, Call of Duty, even though it sells less yeah. well than it did before. But um, yeah, Daniel. Yeah, I, I... yeah. No, I mean, King's the the majority there, but but Blizzard as well, obviously on the uh, PC front, is uh, very large. But I think one thing that's quite surprising is how Activision, I mean, didn't really do much last year and. The future outlook for them is a bit interesting because uh, Call of Duty really underperformed last year. Uh, there's a new, uh, sorry, there's there's no new Skylanders game in 2017, and really when you look at what Activision are doing as their own kind of branch, they've really only got kind of Call of Duty and, and Destiny as the two big franchises, and so it's going to be interesting to see what they do going forward with Destiny mm-hmm. 2 and whether Call of Duty 2017 is able to. Uh, rejuvenate the franchise in a positive well, direction. Well, I think that they're they're putting their foot forward by entering into the the, the like content creation market um, with that new division that they have, right? They're, they, they see the writing on the wall with these games that aren't selling as well as they used to. Um, I mean, they Skylanders obviously is not selling at all, which is why they, they, they put it on hiatus. Um, so, and, and they want it, they're trying to uh, diversifying their their portfolio in a way that um, is going to ma- allow them to remain successful over the years. It's certainly they're yeah, they're sure. yeah they're trying to. I mean, as you mentioned, Skylanders is on hiatus. Uh, Call of Duty, they said, is going back to its roots, which I guess <laughs> World War Two, which is going to look really uh, weird after Battlefield One went to World War One, is going to look like uh, trying to copy what Battlefield One did, which. I very much doubt it would be because they would have started development a while ago for um, for this year's Call of Duty. It's usually on a two-year cycle. Um, but yeah, they have Destiny 2 and Call of Duty, and that's basically it for Activision. We have that... Uh, is Are they publishing the Insomniac? I think it's Insomniac uh, uh, doing the Spider-Man game. Which no, I think that's I think that's Sony publishing that. Oh, okay. All right. Well, there you go. They don't have that anymore. Um, yeah, but and still, they're they're enormous. Um, I, I wonder though. I couldn't find exact numbers. I don't think. But Daniel, maybe you can tell me. Um, they're now clearly the biggest publisher uh, for the gaming industry, right? But you know, they're doing the biggest revenue. But how does it compare to the other? Uh, big ones, you know, the EAs, the Ubisoft, the Tencent even, if we want to go to uh, the Asian market. Sure. I mean, it's certainly the biggest publisher in North America, without a doubt, um, as in based in North America. I mean, you know, they generated revenues of $6.6 billion in 2016, compared to EA, which was about $4.4, $4.5 billion 
Uh, Ubisoft was about 1.5 billion. Take Two mm. was about 1.6 billion. So they're, they're definitely the biggest publisher there. But when you compare it to, you know, Tencent, it's not even in the same ballpark because Tencent's a $13 billion online gaming company. Um, $13 billion you know, revenue? Yeah, that's from their, uh, you know, um, obviously they own Supercell and Riot Games. Of so that's uh, boosted a bit, but... No, but they, al- they also them. own, they also own like, WeChat and other, like, messaging apps and things like that. Sure, um, but, but so the $13 that... billion actually excludes that. Oh, so does it? 13, okay. Wow. Yeah, the $13 billion is just their gaming um, division, which is absolutely huge in China. And then, obviously, Supercell is huge in uh, yeah. Western markets for mobile. And Riot Games with League of Legends, obviously, is, is massive worldwide. Supercell is the maker of Clash of Clans, for those who didn't right. know. And uh, Sensor Tower uh, just published an, an analysis that, said, that, that estimates the revenue for the first year of Clash Royale uh, to about a billion dollars, which, <laughs> you know... <laughs> That is just one game. Yeah, one <laughs> crazy of the games of the very successful developer um, uh, Supercell, which is one of the incredibly successful companies that Tencent uh, owns or works with. Uh, just also... their online. Yeah, sorry, Patrick. Just their online rat ad revenue jumped seven point five billion, or not jumped seven point five, but is up to seven point five billion, which is up fifty one percent year over year. <laughs> It's that's it's insane. Amazing. <laughs> and they they benefit from uh, a a you know the way things work in China, the way the the law is established in China. That means anyone wanting to do business in China has to partner with a Chinese company. And for example, mm-hmm. they have partnerships with Blizzard, which we were just talking about, um, to distribute some of their games in China, including Overwatch. It's Tencent, right? Is it Tencent? I'm. I'm not it's not sure Tencent right for Blizzard. Oh, okay. So Tencent I... operates uh, Call of Duty online, a okay. free-to-play version of Call of Duty. But uh, it's NetEase in China that operates of course. Blizzard games. NetEase, yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, yeah. They're, and they're NetEase are actually, um, you know, they're bigger than, well, I mean, they're as big as EA uh, revenue-wise. And the majority of their revenues, again, is just from China. So, I mean, one statistic I can give you is if you combine uh, Tencent and NetEase as revenues, which would be about 17 billion, give or take. That's actually bigger than Activision Blizzard, Electronic Arts, Ubisoft, and Take Two combined. So that's, that really gives you a bit of perspective on how big these, uh, you know, giant Chinese gaming companies are. Mm. Yeah, and it's not like those you mentioned for, for Europe or for uh, the West are small. They're, they're already enormous. Well, no, they, so, are, they are the big yeah, four. They're the four exactly, biggest. Yeah. Mm. They're the four biggest gaming companies that operate in the console space and uh, obviously have PC and mobile businesses too. All right. Well, there you go. Any other uh, numbers? And uh, I guess a couple of, of other things. Well, just one. Destiny 2 is still on track for 2017. That makes me happy personally because you know how much I love Destiny 1. Um, <laughs> but we'll see what happens. They mentioned they were going to bro- broaden the appeal of the franchise. I'm guessing that means a more solid... Uh, a more solid single-player experience and possibly a PC release. We'll see what happens, but uh, I'm excited about that one. Um, any other interesting numbers or things that are worth mentioning outside of the gigantic nature of the Chinese uh, uh, <laughs> publishers? 
Well, one thing that, I mean, just going back to the Chinese publishers here, one thing that Netty's announced yesterday is that Overwatch has now sold 5 million copies in China alone, and that's uh, it paid copies. So, um, you know, the, the game costs around $30 there, so it's a uh, you know, one-off payment, similar to the West, actually, which is uh, quite good. But I think what's quite surprising, and a lot of people who perhaps cover the Chinese market will tell you, is that everyone goes free-to-play in China because no one buys, uh, you know, full-priced games. And, okay, that's not strictly, too, strictly true because people do buy them, but in general, that's not the rule. But what we've seen with Blizzard and uh, Overwatch in this case is, you know, 5 million people have paid for it. And it's really because Blizzard have built up their... Uh, their, their stable franchises, you know, such as Warcraft, uh, Hearthstone, uh, and the others as well. And they've been really well received in China. And that's why Overwatch has been able to uh, actually do quite well there. Because you put any other game there, charge $30 to it, it would never sell 5 million. I'll tell you that. So what do you think happened? Was it just, uh, was it just the fact that it's, you know, they're used to, uh, you know, to the idea of paying money to Blizzard because they like that company, or what was it? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, one, it's a great game. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of great feedback online and, uh, you know, via the, uh, I guess, esports and live streaming such as well, as well. And, yeah, when it comes to Blizzard games, obviously Warcraft is subscription-based, so people do have that... Uh, knowledge that you know blizzard can usually charge mm. and in this case the, the game is just worth it for a lot of people um that they're more than happy to spend the money yeah i guess it says something about the chinese market as well that uh, there are enough gamers that are willing to spend 30 bucks which is very close well basically it's 40 bucks here in the west so it's almost the same um and they're able uh beyond the aspect of being willing to but they're able to pay that kind of money for um for a game which means the market is maturing very quickly in china it wasn't so long ago that you would imagine the chinese market wasn't able to bear that kind of pricing for these kinds of games so interesting yeah, indeed. I mean, in free to play in free to play you know people spend loads but when it comes to paid games people would i mean piracy is obviously a big issue in china um and also just a general you know there's a free version of a game, why would you pay for a full price version? Mm. And so, those are the general attitudes that you see there, and that's why it's it's uh, quite refreshing to see uh, Overwatch actually do quite well mm. as a paid game. Which it it just to be clear, they also have the equivalent of uh, PC banks from Korea. Like you can go and pay for the amount of time you're going to play. Right? That's that's sure. the way that yeah yeah. Um, and I see, I guess, Ed added the yeah. uh, b bit of news. Uh, well, go ahead. Yeah, so uh, it was announced uh, yesterday, I think, that Resident Evil 7 has completely recouped its development cost. Um, and it, by that, they mean they've sold 3 million copies, and they expect for the entire fiscal year to sell 4 million copies. So I think their target that, that, was, yeah, for fiscal year, which means end March. Yeah, so that that's... It's pretty pretty good for um for a game that like is a sequel to a game that was generally thought of as not not a great addition to the franchise. 
and the franchise is starting to like go downhill and all of a sudden this this game is and i have played it and it's it's pretty dang fun um it's interesting. there's yeah. there, there's at least one uh girly scream that you got out of me playing that game <laughs> Um, it's interesting because uh, Resident Evil 6 sold well. It sold really well, but mm-hmm. uh, from a, a critic's point of view, it wasn't regarded as a great uh, uh, op, uh, uh, version uh, of the game. And they had the courage to change up the formula. And it's really uh, encouraging that the game sold well enough and, you know, it's basically a success. It it means that it, it, uh, developers like Capcom and maybe others will be more willing to mix things up. For they took sequels. up. Yeah. They took a pretty big risk with yeah. with this game. Um, the the critic response to six was so low that mm-hmm. they took a lot of the suggestions and stuff and like talked about people talking about like what made the original Resident Evil and and Resident Evil Four especially so great. And they they really seem to have turned it around and made something that no one was really expecting. Pe- yeah. People were hoping, but no one was really like expecting it to come true. So good news there too. Hey, want more good news? Valve is doing things that are games and not just the store. <laughs> um, so they announced uh, during a, an interview. They basically. We talked, I think, about the uh, Gabe Newell AMA on Reddit a few weeks ago, and now they had basically a press conference. It was a or an interview with lots of journalists uh, where they announced a bunch of things. One of them being that they're making three full VR games. Um, we had the legitimate question of whether or not Valve was still interested in making games because they're making so much money with uh, Steam. But uh, it seems they are, and they're making three complete VR games, which might be sequels. No one say, you know, the game that shall not be named. I doubt that would be it, but there are opportunities. Uh, Of course, everyone talks about a game in the Portal universe. That seems like a no-brainer. But yeah, they're still making games. They believe in VR. They did mention that, you know, maybe it's not going to be... Maybe by the time the games come out, they're going to have different types of VR headsets that are more capable. And they also are working on a Oculus Touch-like hardware device that would make the controls even more different from what we already know. He uh, Newell talked about uh, Miyamoto and the fact that basically... Uh, 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 something that uh, Steve Jobs also used to say, which is if you're really serious about software, you have to develop your own hardware as well. And that's something Nintendo does a lot, of course. And now Valve is uh, talking about it. So I I guess it's probably going to be playable on the current headset on the HTC Vive, but there are probably going to be other ones that come out where it's going to be even better um, in the near future, I'm sure. Or at least, you know, that's what was implied um but yeah three full vr games from valve are we excited i'd say so i mean i think that the the problem with with vr right now is there's no like real like a platform seller in a way all of them seem kind of like tech demos um so if there are full-fledged video games that are all that are completely in vr i think that it could really do benefit to selling the um those platforms um someone on the site 
played Resident Evil 7 and completely in VR, and he said it was the most terrifying experience you've ever had in a, in a video <laughs> game. So I think that um, as we, as these, and as like big developers say, like, hey, it is possible to make a game completely in VR and have it be a game, then other uh, publishers and developers will, will jump on that track too, and uh, hopefully, and create a create a nice ecosystem of of games that are available for people to play in VR. Yeah, it's also very reassuring, I think, to see that Valve believes in VR enough to commit mm -hmm. to three full games. It probably means that that's all they're doing, except for minor updates yeah. to, uh, you know, CSGO and, and Team Fortress and, of course, Dota 2. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, it's probably a good thing. Um, and then... They announced a change to the way they uh, accept games on the Steam platform. Basically, Steam Greenlight is going away, and uh, they're going to put in place Steam Direct, which is going to mean any developer... For those who don't remember Greenlight... Uh, well, okay, let's go back for a second. <laughs> Steam um, is a platform that only accepts on the platform games that uh, Valve has selected. Uh, so you have to be, uh, you know, greeted into the fold of the Church of the Light of Gabe Newell to be featured in the in the store. Of course, many, many games are, but not every game. And Greenlight was a way for uh, the Steam community to surface games they were interested in and to bring them to the attention of the people who, uh, by some arcane method, decide which games are going to be on the platform. Um That worked for a couple of years, but there were numerous issues and, you know, it had good sides and bad sides. But what they're doing now is that they're basically going to an App Store-like model. Um, yeah. If you have a game that is functional, uh, if it, you know, works on the platform that you says, if it launches on the platforms you say it, you say it launches on, And uh, you have basic administrative solvency if you're basically uh, the bank account. Then you, you, if you have a bank account, I mean, they, they mentioned the kind of administrative, administrative thing you would need to comply to is the equivalent of opening a bank account. Um, and then you have uh, the choice of paying an, a certain amount between $100,000 and $5,000. They haven't decided exactly how much it would be. And then you are on the Steam store, just like you would be on the Apple App Store or any other uh, store of that uh, kind. And uh, there is sort of a, a, a backlash against this from certain developers. Some people mention that uh, some games like uh, children's school projects or games from developers that are incredibly poor and that put all their efforts and time and energy into that one game and they won't have 5,000 bucks to uh, put put it on Steam, which by the way, the 5,000 bucks are refundable. We don't know exactly how they will be refundable, if it's on uh, profits or if uh, Steam just pays them back or pays part of it and half of it is profits, we don't know. But um, if some developer doesn't have that kind of money, well, they would be excluded from the store. And I'm curious to know what you guys think about this. Uh, I have my own 
opinions, but I'll ask you first. Daniel, is that, do you see the drawbacks or, and the benefits to this, or what do you think? Yeah, the, the two big drawbacks to this is that upfront fee. Yes, it's refundable, but uh, you know, the, I, I'm a bit confused why uh, Valve announced this without setting a price or without um, you know, articulating that point a bit better. Okay, fair enough, they've given a range of 100 to 5,000, but that's a fairly big range, and it really just depends on the uh, developer and the region and, and the project, because, you know, for, for some, 5,000 is fine. For others, it's uh, it's something that they can't afford. Mm. And the second point really is around the uh, discoverability of games and how that will work. Um, you know, is that going to mean that you're not seeing the best games or you're only seeing, uh, you know, some some games and not others? Uh, you're going to miss the gems. So I mean, those are the two big drawbacks that I see. But in general, for, for Steam and for Valve, it, it makes a lot of sense um, with what they're doing because they're opening up the platform so that anyone can publish a game you know, without need for this curation and, and long uh, waiting time. Um, and so what that means is that, you know, Steam can continue growing as a platform. They have a huge market share at the moment, but they don't want competition to come in. And so by having all the PC games on Steam, really, um, that, again, makes it the, one, the one-stop shop for all PC games. On top of that, you know, moving away from Greenlight means that a lot of these developers now can take that budget, that marketing budget that they had for uh, just being approved, just to get on the store and actually use it for promotion um, and, and marketing uh, for when they're on the store on day one. So, you know, that uh, uncertainty of will I or won't I get on the store and is it worth investing in this product to go through green light? Is it actually going to go through? You know, that uncertainty is now gone. And it's just a fee that needs to be uh, explained a bit more and kind of talked about. And then once we get a clear answer on that, that's when you know everyone can start forming opinions. Mm. Well, it's, it's, I think it's... A, just, just very quickly, it's a very good yeah, point sure. about the fact that Greenlight, um, as we mentioned, wasn't a given. You also had to invest either time or money or both to actually get noticed on Greenlight and, and mm -hmm. be published. So that uncertainty of whether or not you exactly. could ever be on the store, it, you know, is is very heavy to bear by a, a, especially a small uh, development studio. Um, yeah, sorry. Yeah, and a lot of developers would yeah. prefer um, that you, you know, that Greenlight wasn't there and that you can just put your game on the store. Yes, it means there's a lot of, you know, crap games that are going to go on, but if discoverability works like it should, shouldn't be an issue, but obviously, you know, never yeah. does it. Well, it's, it's I, I, the same problem in all of the app stores. You have so many sure, products sure. that, yeah, and that's obviously a problem, but I think uh, personalized discovery and personalized, they've changed the store quite a bit to try and cater to your tastes. Uh, and it never works perfectly, but I think that solution seems better than just artificially keeping a lot of people out Agreed. of the store um yeah so well, i think Ed, the reason you're, you're, that, yeah. that so so many indie devs are, aren't happy about is because they're switching from the model right now which is a hundred dollars as a development studio to more than a hundred potentially up to five thousand is what they said per project 
So you can understand why that that numbers wise, I mean, you, you have to spend time marketing with Greenlight right now, but you don't have to spend five thousand per game that you're making to to market towards Greenlight. You know, um, I I think I think this move is good, but it might be they might they probably should have done this before they even tried Greenlight. <laughs> um, more games were published on Steam last year than ever before that. Yeah. And and that doesn't that doesn't say to me, hey, look, you should look for all these awesome games that are on there. That that means, hey, there's a lot of crap on this platform, <laughs> and and they they have done a lot of inroads to making discoverability better, um, more filters and stuff on during sales back in 2015. You used to have to like in in order to find out if a game was in early access on, that was listed on the front page you had to open up the game and look for early access and now you can filter those out to your front page results during the sales and stuff like that though all those things are really positive uh things for the for the platform uh, i just hope that that we don't lose out on a, on in, indie developers that mm. um there are a couple of awesome gems that that made it through greenlight um and I'm I'm hoping that we don't lose that on that. Yeah, uh, I think it's a legitimate concern. Um, I think no solution is perfect. Obviously, mm-hmm. uh, there are going to be drawbacks in in both cases. They, I'm sure, they do have to keep a gate at some point so that we don't yeah. see even more crap. You know, if you if you there is absolutely no uh, difficulty in being on the platform, then you start seeing clones and and the games you know the platform flooded with very very poor quality things which there might be still now but probably not as much um i guess that five thousand bucks per game figure is a little little bit bit yeah yeah it's it's a little bit high i'm guessing they're not gonna go that high but uh but we'll see it's 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 also refundable so it makes sure Mm -hmm. that it's a way of making sure that you have a, a serious you know, maybe not business plan, but it, at least you're serious about the game that you're putting on the right. store, which if you're not, I understand some people might not be or might even expect the game to not make that kind of money or whatever. There are also other avenues. And yeah, I think that, it's that's important the other thing to I was remember. Say. Yeah. You know, there's itch.io, there's uh, good old mm-hmm. games. You can put it on your website for, for the love of the almighty. Yeah. You know, put it on your website, put it free. That's how Minecraft started. So it's definitely possible. You have app stores if you're, you want to go mobile. So Steam is important, but it's not the only player in town. And, and, and PlayStation is uh, making great inroads in the indie development community with the way that their publishing system works. Their self-publishing system works, I should say. Um, so th- there are obviously multiple avenues that any indie developer can take. And if Steam, if this new Stream Greenlight replacement doesn't seem to be pulling in um, developers, that's the that's how the free market works, right? So it's, it's if not as many indie devs are coming in and, or Valve feels like they're missing out on people to start to reduce that price or maybe make mm-hmm. it a little bit more proportional to like... Uh, uh, indie studio size or something like that which would be kind of cool as well yeah, could work all right a bunch of other tidbits uh twitch launched communities in beta a few days ago if you don't know what that is i thought i thought that was a really interesting approach to uh the way the the twitch 
discoverability, which again seems to be a problem for everyone these days, uh, works. Basically, anyone can create a community and any uh, channel can decide to become part of that community, but they can only be part of one community at a time. Um, I mean, I'm saying any channel. Obviously, I'm sure they ha there are moderating uh, options in there for the creator of that community. But what that does is that you can create a community around a certain theme. For example, you might have a community of uh, speedrunners or a community about survival games only or, you know, a lot of different kinds of ideas can now be inserted into the DNA of Twitch and those things are searchable and they are discoverable and you can talk about these in a way that is so much more uh, uh, practical than trying to go and find a certain type of stream only by, you know, the only option you have now is by game or, or by streamer name. So if you don't know those two, and if you have uh, only the name of the game, chances are you're going to see the top 15 streamers and that's it. You're probably not going to go anywhere below that. Um, so I thought the community's idea was really clever. Uh, we'll have to see how much use that that uh, actually gets. But it's a great way of inserting, uh, inserting uh, you know, searching and discoverability into the Twitch community in general, which is lacking in that department, I thought. Anyone cares to comment? Yeah, it's, it seems cool. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'd be curious to... Uh, maybe I'll... I actually didn't didn't know about this, and I'm not sure that any of us on on the site do. And we we've, we've been on Twitch for, uh, <laughs> I guess, six years now. So, um, we'll, I I'll take this back to them and, and see what what's uh, if it's something we're interested in. Mm. Yeah, it's. I mean, you can only be again. You can only be part of one community, so it's mm -hmm. very specific. But um, if you go to the site now, it's uh, available in beta. But uh, wait, let's check things out uh communities there you go there are speed running yo video games i don't know what that is a competitive <laughs> overwatch for example uh arson arenas up there and yeah there yeah, yeah it seems kind of cool there there can be stuff uh super mario maker that's game overwatch that's a game okay uh twitter deutschland De deutschland so language based i guess that's not too hard to find uh, Japan stream, okay, maybe UK streamers. You know what? Those communities aren't the best. I would have hoped they would be more <laughs> uh, original. But anyway, um, yeah, Marvel Comics down there. There's one stream in that community. I think the idea is cool. I'm not saying it will be implemented in the proper way. We'll see. Mm -hmm. um, all right, E3 is opening uh, to regular people. Regular customers, you can buy your uh, E3 ticket. I wonder if there are still some left, but there were 15,000 put up for sale, which, you know, it's really interesting. E3 is really struggling, has been for a few years, as, you know, obviously developers can go directly to their consumers, and that's a problem for a, a trade show that tries to have a wide consumer appeal, uh, as E3 does in the publicity of it. But um, they have tried to make it a little bit more pub public, a little bit less public, and they're still not finding their 
the best way of going about it. This, ta- this time they're giving 15,000 extra people uh, the possibility of going to the show. The price is pretty high. It's 150 for the f- first thousand, which I'm sure is gone already. It's 250 now. Exactly, yeah. 250 now. Um, I don't know if that's going to do E3 any good. I don't, I don't understand. I mean, I understand it brings money to them, but I, I don't think it brings, uh, well, I guess that's what it does. It's, <laughs> it's money. Um, yeah, I, aside from that, it's still not a great uh, moment to be in the trade show business. It's still good for people to get together and professionals to uh, make deals, which is, I guess, what E3 is about. But um, what, what do you think of it, Daniel? Is it something that is... I mean, when you look at Gamescom, for example, which has like 350,000 attendees, you go the other route and that, that is, uh, uh, you know, that's going to be positive cash flow size. Um, yeah, I don't know. What's your, what's your thought on that uh, E3 opening to 15,000 customers? I think it's a good start for the direction E3 will probably look to go in over the next few years. Uh, obviously, it's you know retail uh, trade show, and that's the primary uh, reason for its existence. But you know, it, it's time to, I guess, it's time for E3 to be a bit more inclusive. And it, I mean, the the way I see it is that this will encourage a few more um, exhibitors to really kind of uh, you know buy space there and show up, but also at the same time. I think it's going to bring in uh, a few more influences and uh, I guess like super fans of the game, of games and franchises to these events. And, you know, that can actually be quite beneficial for these companies who, you know, perhaps haven't seen a reason to buy a booth at E3 because, as you say, they can go directly to the customer these days. But uh, if, if they were to buy a booth at E3 and have, you know, uh, perhaps YouTube influencers or, or Twitch streamers, um, partner with them there, then it can actually be a lot more influential and, and better for the company than any sort of you know standard press release that they release to these normally. Hmm. That's an interesting so it, way it, it, of it looking could work. at it. Yeah, it, it could work, and uh, I think it's it's the best thing that they could have done because if they kept it the same as last year, you know, it would have just been a continual decline. Yeah, I guess, I guess it makes sense. I hadn't really thought of it that way. They can keep opening it up more if needed in the future, but getting people in um, might, again, uh, enable some micro-YouTubers, micro-influencers that are going to go there for a couple of days and be interested in smaller games because everyone is going to be talking about the big EA or, or uh, Ubisoft releases, but there might be other games that might sure. be interesting that the developers would be very happy to give access to to someone that has a smaller audience where when people, uh, you know, co- big companies aren't really interested in someone, you know, a YouTuber that has 10,000 viewers, um, things like that. And it, it does work at a, as a wonderful circle of life with the booth as, as well. You're right. It, it makes it way more appealing for um, for developers to have a booth there if they know they're going to be able to reach more people so yeah i hadn't seen it like that but it makes a lot of sense 
Um, all right, a, a series of uh, additional uh, bits. Amazon has uh, opened a new studio that is led by John Smedley. If you don't remember who John Smedley is, he's the guy uh, who was leading basically the EverQuest studio. And uh, that is an MMO. And so that means that Amazon, who's been deep in development, they, as we know, they acquired Switch, uh, Switch. <laughs> Twitch a few um, a couple of years ago now and uh, they've been developing games and maybe something MMO-ish it's uh, it's very interesting that Amazon is really firing in all directions at the moment including um, that one so just wanted to mention it I mean it's a bit weird what they're doing I mean it's great I love it that you know they're opening up all these studios and creating different games to, um, you know, interact and integrate with Twitch. But if I was in Amazon's position, I probably would just, uh, you know, get some developers on board to um, create games and obviously just publish them or, or whatever. You mean but instead uh, of building up a studio internally? Yeah, exactly. You know, they, they, they could have gone with the same uh, sort of, uh, uh, I guess, procedure with... Their, uh, what's their video service called? Amazon Video, is that it? Amazon yeah. Prime Video. Yeah. Prime Video, yeah. So, I mean, I was thinking they might go something like that because I, I don't know. I'm interested to see how it goes. It could be a huge success for them, or it could just be. Uh... I mean, if I was in that position, I probably wouldn't do it, but mm. we'll see. <laughs> I guess the risk, the risk is really big. It's really difficult yes. to. Yeah. It's kind of. Yeah. It, it's. You don't have the expertise. You don't have. They've hired a lot of very smart and very talented people, but even then, oh for sure, yeah, it's very hard to to get a hit if you have three or four studios. But I guess they don't care about the money. <laughs> I suppose you know they're yeah. like it's a risk. But for us, we have so much money; it's a it's a negligible amount we're going to invest there. I, I don't know. I just haven't I haven't haven't seen a lot of stuff out of that. Studio, um, well, I've played Amazon um, game. Yeah, I, I, the the what's that uh, esports? I mean, battle, no, it's not battle right. It's a battle right like game, uh, which I've played a little bit. It's fun enough, but when you Take have away. other, which one? Breakaway. Breakaway. Yeah, there you go. There you go. That's the one. Um, but the thing is, that one specifically is so borrowing from everything else and trying yeah, to right. do it so specifically to be an esports it's it's trying too hard it feels like that way at least mm -hmm. but um, mm -hmm. but yeah so that's that's kind of the challenge here and maybe getting people like John Smedley and the others that they've hired sure. is going to allow them to to make interesting projects um yeah i don't know i i think the way i would look at it is why not do it you know they can they yeah, have the money sure. And they can oh, try yeah, sure. if it works out, then it's cool. If not, whatever. It's, it seems like it, it was a some um, like director level or VP level person was like, I really like video games, so we should create a video game studio. And Amazon <laughs> was like, okay, sure, do it. Yeah, it's possible. <laughs> yeah, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm a huge fan of what they're doing. I yeah. think, um, you know, if the games succeed, amazing, great. But I guess, you know, when when I first heard about it and when I saw what they were doing, I was a bit like, um, okay, well, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I agree. 
Um, it just doesn't seem like the the thing that they would do. They they just went ahead and did it, which is good. Yeah, it's it, it's also surprising how many different things Amazon is doing at the moment. You know, oh, yeah. uh, it, they're yeah. as I was saying, firing in all directions and on all cylinders. All of the cylinders are on fire, and um, and yeah, it's just one more. So it's like if they had been doing only this and not 15 million other things that they would have been doing, I would have been more befuddled than I am now, I suppose. Um, Conan Exiles is super popular. I didn't see that one coming. Um, honestly, For Honor is also pretty a lot more hyped than I thought it was going to be. Those are the two games that I was looking at uh, from a corner of my eye, thinking, eh, how are they going to do? But Conan Exiles is in early access, and, and you know, it's a one of those um, survival games in the Conan universe. And uh, it's not only for the, uh, you know, unsavory reasons that you might have heard about, it's uh, getting a little bit of publicity. And uh, and as I said, For Honor came out uh, yesterday and I was very impressed initially and then the hype sort of died down. And now, now I'm considering maybe I'm... Maybe I'm not going to buy it now, but it looks pretty good. And maybe when it's on sale in a few months, I might pick it up. Um, have you guys tried either of those? I'm, I'm guessing not. But I've looked. I've looked at Conan Exiles. I actually know someone who um, kind of helped working on, worked on the game um, through like a friend of a friend kind of thing. Um, it's, it seems cool, but it, those kind of games just don't appeal to me that much. Um, yeah, it's very survival. Honor, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, for honor, um, I'm like you. I'm keeping an eye on it, and it, it, if it continues to get uh, good reviews, and once the price goes down a little bit, I'll pro- I'll probably pick it up and and try it out. Mm. Um, but this this front this first three months of 2017 is very front loaded. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's, it's going to be interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, My copy of for honor is uh, somewhere in the post. Oh. I should have been here two days ago. But, I hate uh, it when that happens. <laughs> I ordered it from, from Ubisoft directly, uh, which is even worse. Because wow. you think they'd, uh, yeah. they'd give it to you. Guess you, don't, guess you don't, should start depending on Amazon again, huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Why wouldn't you purchase it digitally? Oh, because I had some Ubisoft point thingies. I don't know. Ah. It, it was cheaper that way. Okay. I, I just... I, I'm Sorry, I'm completely on the. Honestly, for the cheapest price. I'm completely on the Amazon, uh, di- uh, like physical train. Um, since you get twenty percent off all all purchases, all video game purchases if it's physical. So I mm-hmm. I don't buy uh, digital games unless it's like specifically on Steam. Actually, mm-hmm. two of the games PC games that I purchased last year, I literally bought the bought the physical version. Put the key in and then threw away the box, and it just because just because it saved me twelve dollars. Yeah, yeah. Patrick, it's, do it's you what people do? You have the Amazon Prime thing. Yeah, yeah. And the way the way it works uh, is uh, it's it's. Does, does Patrick have it? Oh, does Patrick? Sorry. Oh yeah, yeah. I do. I do. But do you on on you in France, right? So, uh, yeah. Currently, I'm in Finland, but yeah, usually I'm in France, okay. and my my uh, sure. Amazon Prime is France. But um, when you buy games with a discount, you know, pre-order discount, how much do you get off? 
I don't even know that we do get a discount in France yet. Maybe we do. I don't Because even know. I... In the US, it's 20%, right, Ted? Mm -hmm. mm. For me, in the UK, it's uh, like two pounds, which is like two dollars. Oh, really? $2. Wow. $2.50. Yeah, oh. that, that's, that's like a normal, the normal like Amazon Prime reduction that they give yeah. to, to all the games. So I guess the, the video game uh, little promotion thing is not like fully available yet mm. outside the US. Well, the um, thing is, to, to be honest, the because games, of Brexit, <laughs> <laughs> probably um, the games are usually cheaper on Amazon anyway, like significantly yeah. cheaper. True. If you go to uh, Micromania, which is the equivalent of GameStop, I think they own them. Um, it, it's it, you're going to pay a good 20% more if you buy it there um, than if you pre-order it on Amazon. It's ridiculous. There is no reason to not pre-order it on Amazon, especially with the You know, with the Prime, you get it usually on launch day, and it's cheaper yeah. than digital as well. It's, so, in in the U.S., it's a, it's actually about the same. You end up paying, and it also depends on like the tax code in your in your state, of course, um, yeah. whether you actually get taxed on it. Um, so, if in North Carolina where I am, it's exactly the same price as going out to a store and buying it. Mm. Um, it's a little bit more controlled, unless I buy it. Uh, up to two weeks after the release date, and then it's forty seven ninety nine instead of fifty nine ninety nine. Well, yeah, which so is so at cool. least I guess <laughs> if you go buy it on the in the store, um, you get it for you're certain you get it on that day. Yeah, on, like, on that poor, day exactly, Daniel. <laughs> um, and but so I'm looking at the prices here for uh, for Zelda for Breath of the Wild. It's 70 euros at Micromania, so the equivalent of GameStop, 70 euros, and it's 52 at uh, Amazon. Wow, that's crazy. That's insane. It's, that's it's, insane, yeah. I mean, obviously, we talked about the issues with GameStop uh, basically relying so much on uh, pre-owned, and because I think they don't want to sell all that many um items and they want they do one thing which amazon doesn't is that they sell they uh, uh buy back your old games and your old mm -hmm. consoles and so they buy those they you finance your purchase of the new one by uh that way and then they can sell uh the old one and a lot of people a lot of people i know are financing their switch purchases by selling their xboxes and yeah. uh And their old PS4s and stuff like that. So I was looking at this, but uh, here in Finland, I went to ask how much they would give me for it. It was 80 euros cash for the old mm -hmm. Xbox One or the the Wii U, the black one, the the special edition. Um, so I was like, you know, 80 bucks. I'm a, an adult. I work. <laughs> I don't think I. I can just and you know I also need to keep those for work in case something comes out. Yeah, right. If they gave me 200, obviously they wouldn't. It's it's sold almost at that that price when it's new, but I I don't know. For me it's hard to I think it was just not it was just like a a cavalcade of coincidences all at the same mm. time. Like Switch was announced, GameStop did their promotion and Microsoft canceled Scalebound all at the same time. <laughs> I guess. And so like all of a sudden people are like, "Hey, that Xbox over there I'm not mm. sure that that's going to be worth it to keep around. Yeah. And it'll free me free up an HDMI port on my PC, in my, <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, my TV, because I already have a, uh, 
a uh, HDMI switch that I that I use to switch between my game consoles, and that's completely full, and all the other ports are all, also p- full. That's basically what I did. So, so I put my I kept my Xbox One. I'm keeping it, but I put my Xbox One and my Wii U in the box, and they're available if I need them, but. <laughs> They're not connected. So they're not, to the they're not even they're not even connected yeah. to the TV anymore. No, no. I just you know well, it's just work wise it makes more sense to keep it in case I need it at some point. Um, you should have kept the Wii U plugged in and just play on the gamepad all the time. <laughs> I guess I that's what I done. do. That's it. the only times I play on the gamepad is oh, when but I, uh, I'm going to have a Wii uh, in a some, few days. So uh, I'm sorry, switch, I mean yeah. a Switch. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, true, true. Um, talking about things that are coming out in a few days. Uh, a really strange one. Horizon Zero Dawn is coming out in about 10 days. That fe- that's February 28th. And what I was talking about before, which is there's no communications plan. There's no PR push. There's no marketing on that thing. I don't understand what's happening. And I, I wonder, is it a bad sign that, you know, it means... I, I can't imagine... a. a a publisher who believes a game is great or good and has the potential to sell well wouldn't uh, make a marketing push. And to me, what that says is it seems like a bad sign for the quality of the game. Um, I talked about this with a, a few friends on the um, on my uh, Patreon Slack, and they mentioned, you know, maybe they're relying on another... Basically, we arrived to the conclusion that it's possible they're testing out a different strategy to push games and that they think it's good, that it's going to get good word of mouth, that they're going to push it with influencers once it's out, um, and that they're saving on the marketing push and trying to lower the cost of uh, those games. And this would be the perfect game to test this new method of uh, you know, marketing uh, on because it got a good buzz at E3. People have a general good idea of what it is. They think it's cool if it wasn't for that lack of marketing. So maybe they're trying it here and seeing if it works out. If it does, then it might mean they don't need to push every single game super hard in order to uh, sell it a lot. I don't know which one of the two it is, but <laughs> I think both might be true, but I'm still worried. Um what about you guys? Do you think it's worrisome that they're not pushing it from a marketing standpoint, Daniel? Um, I mean, they're clearly not spending a huge amount on marketing, mm. but I have seen a few, um, I guess, more social ads rather than uh, you know big budget uh, commercials and billboards and all that. But I, I don't see it having a negative effect hugely but I mean I guess for me it, it it seems okay and I think we're so used now to seeing uh, you know games that perhaps have multiplayer components have all these uh, you know open betas and, and other kind of marketing tools and influences before the game comes out uh, promoting it that um, you know those titles are becoming Promoted a lot more, mm. where single player titles aren't. And I think maybe that's the effect there because at the end of the day, they have marketed it quite well, in my opinion at least. And there is good visibility for it, I think. Mm. Yeah, I mean, based on what I've seen. 
unfortunately. Yeah, I guess I'm surprised I'm not seeing the big push towards the release. We're still 10 days away. Maybe there's time for it, but um, yeah, I don't know. I guess we'll see once the game actually comes out. Um, A couple of uh, news on uh, Konami or Konami-related. Castlevania, which is, of course, a Konami game, um, is going to get an animation series on Netflix. I initially thought it was a live-action series, which I had mixed feelings about. I guess an animation series can be interesting. Um, A little bit less groundbreaking, though. But still, I'm going to be following that. And then Konami also announced Bomber Girl, which I don't know if you've seen the video, but it doesn't seem like the most exciting game ever. It's basically Bomberman with a slightly different view and uh, anime character style promotion and a very slow moving character on screen. It's an arcades, four versus four. Um, The reason I mention it is that cool because Konami is still making games, I suppose. I still haven't, you know, uh, gotten over my anger of what happened with uh, Kojima, but (laughs) um, I don't know. It's Konami is is still special. Is it only for arcades or is it supposed to come out on consoles too? So I believe initially it's for arcades, but, um, but I don't know. It might come out for uh, consoles afterwards, but when you look at the video, it doesn't seem like the most compelling gameplay ever. But uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, everything on their site—it's it's all in Japanese. But everything on their site, like there's pictures of like the arcade uh, things and things like that. So it doesn't look, and I don't see any like Sony logo or anything like that. Mm. Um, yeah. So it doesn't seem like anything that that will ever probably come west at all <laughs> yeah but it is it is konami making games not yep. just pachinko and whatever else they're doing at the moment so there you go um the humble bundle is having a special edition uh to fight trump's travel ban is how uh um polygon is titling it and without getting to the politics of it even if you don't care, I mean, unless you don't want to give money to the company, to the organizations that are helping um, refugees, it's uh, organizations like uh, uh, Doctors Without Borders, the ACLU, things like that. Unless you actively don't want to give them money, I would seriously consider going to the Humble Bundle and looking at that bundle because it's pretty insane. Um, It has games like The Witness, Stardew Valley, Day of the Tentacle, the remastered edition. Um, It has, uh, I don't know, like Super Meat Boy, Sword and Sorcery, a bunch of stuff. It has books as well. Uh, Mm. It's kind of possibly the best Humble Bundle ever. Um, So again, regardless of your political views, if you think those games might be interesting to you and you haven't picked uh, picked them up yet... Then go check it out. It has it has a lot of cool little indie puzzlers on it. Uh, VVVV, uh, Mushroom Eleven, The Swapper, all those, all three of those games are really good. Song of the Deep, which just came out last year, mm. um, is on there. Uh, but like The Witness costs uh, forty dollars, I think it is, and the the bundled together is thirty dollars, and you get I don't I can't even count this much, but it, it's like more than. It looks like more than 50 games. Yeah. I think, you know, it's... Games and books and and other things, but... 
Yeah, in there's music like and things, the, the Stanley Parable, uh, yeah. Super Hexagon. Like, there's I have half those games. Mm-hmm. I still think it would be worth it for me to pay for it, uh, just for the other half. It's uh, right. you know, in- Invisible Ink, uh, which is one of the most acclaimed, uh, you know, stealth indie game. There, well, it's half indie from last year. It's it's really an incredible bundle. So. Um, anyway, there you go. You can go check that out. There's also something interesting happening, the Resist Jam. And again, political affici- affiliations aside, um, what they're trying to do is uh, get indie developers together or developers uh, together uh, to make games that are uh, non-violent encouraged and um, to to make games that make you think about society and some of the things that they're uh mentioning i I mean one game as that they're using as a reference which was really interesting is papers please uh Mm -hmm. which i mean we're not going to go into what it is again but if you know what it is i think it it's a very special type of game that is goes beyond just a game um so this is really interesting it it runs from uh, march 3rd to march 11 and on top of being um a an interesting, you know, game jams are always interesting or often interesting. Uh, this sort of direction makes it even more interesting. Again, regardless of what your political affiliations are. So, um, yeah, that is also something we'll have to follow and see if some uh, nice, you know, different concepts uh, emerge from it. I think another, did they mention uh, this war of mine? Maybe they didn't, but this is another one that is in that vein of, you know, games that make you think about stuff. Or even something like uh, like That Dragon Cancer is another good yeah. example of a game that, like, is about a personal experience of the developer and it gets you in the feels, you know, rather than um, in the, the more, <laughs> in the like... the machine gun? <laughs> the, yeah, yeah, in the machine gun, exactly. <laughs> and finally, um, there was a little bit of a... Mm, well, scandal story issue with uh, PewDiePie and him being dropped by Disney and uh, YouTube for some aspects of his uh, business, which is not directly game-related, but game-related enough that I think I wanted to get my uh, two cents on the matter. I actually posted a quick uh, Twitter rant on Twitter of all places, which I put together on as a post on Facebook and on my uh, personal website, patrickbeja.com. If you're interested in reading the whole thing, it's not very long. It's going to take you like a couple of minutes. Uh, but I did want to mention this because a lot of people have been talking about it uh, in the past few days. And I think there are a lot of people who are taking this to extremes really in both directions. Um, and if you're not aware, uh, what happened was that PewDiePie it did a number of references in different videos to um, Nazis and Hitler and anti-Semitism in, in, in what is, he says, were jokes. You know, he was uh, he paid uh, through a service online uh, some I can't remember where it was, but a couple of people in an impoverished country. He paid them five bucks to um, hold out a poster saying death to all Jews. And there were you know, it wasn't an isolated incident. It happened six, seven times in different videos. And 
beyond that fiver the thing he paid five bucks uh kind of ickiness of paying money to people who have less money than you do to do something that is reprehensible and them laughing at them doing it and you know being shocked in the way that PewDiePie is shocked in his videos uh that's sort of icky in its own right but that's a different issue a lot of people have been either you know yelling at PewDiePie for being a inconscionable anti-semite or which was a lot more surprising to me uh people defending him and saying, oh my God, I can't believe how the media is piling up, piling on him for this thing where clearly he's not an anti-Semite and you're manufacturing this outrage. Um, and it seems to me that both, I think the, the issue is, let's imagine, and I think that's the case, I don't know the guy, but I imagine it seems to me that he's not actually trying to promote the you know, ideology of uh, Hitler Germany, Nazi Germany, right? He's not saying we should actually kill Jews. He was trying to make shock value jokes, uh, in some cases trying to illustrate something very clumsily, um, and he went too far. And it is what happened was that there were consequences for him, and he, you know, is going to have business uh consequences for what he did which was pushing the line the line is very hard to define between humor and shocking humor and dark humor and you know when you push it so far that it's not funny i think he went on that side of the issue and so some people said hey dude that's too far let's cool it and that's what we're going to do to send out a message and that's completely fair i don't see how that is unfair and then some people are saying, oh, they're, you know, he's perfectly cool. People are piling on, referencing articles that are uh, stating PewDiePie is anti-Semitic and saying, oh, no, of course not. He's not. And this is going too far. And, it, and I'm like, it's not really going too far. What he did borders or plain is anti-Semitic. It's fair to call him on it. Um, he was reprimanded by the way society works as a whole. And that's it. I, I don't see how, you know, there, there, there's there been people who have been saying, uh, you know, basically getting outraged on his behalf, saying that other people were outraged on the Jews' behalf and that, oh my God, social justice warriors and you shouldn't be outraged for other people. My response to this is, what are you talking about? You should only be outraged when something targets you specifically? That's how, you know, that's how it works. Like, let's imagine for a second that PewDiePie had said the same things about black people referencing, you know, saying, ah, oh, those N-words should go back on, on their ships and with their chains and go back to Africa. The outrage would be much, much worse. And it would be justified. And I still would think that I don't know that he would be a, a, a you know, a racist. For, for He was just, he's a clumsy, dumb almost teenager and he did a bad joke and that's about it but it's not unfair to call him for it like people going on videos and going basically leave PewDiePie alone is like no he we're not yes he's not going to be tried for war crimes but it's not like you should leave him alone because he did nothing wrong it's fair to ask the question um so anyway that was my you know my thought about this I know it's a little bit outside of the um uh 
realm of gaming but it's still so you know he's a personality in the gaming space and it's been making a lot of noise so i thought i wanted to address it uh, and and basically call on everyone to sort of settle down <laughs> and, and it was dealt with appropriately appropriately that's the worst part of this whole thing it was dealt with appropriately he's going to be fine he still has 53 million followers uh, on YouTube, he's still going to be making money. He got a slap on the wrist, which was warranted, and that's it. And uh, I think w another thing that uh, came to me was, I think it's a generation thing as well. And some people might say it isn't, but for people like me who are maybe a little bit older, World War II and Nazi and and you know the Nazi ideology is a very very serious matter, and you can joke about it, but. You have to know when you're taking it too far. And I think this is eroding a little bit with the current generation and going forward because it's just too far. It, people don't understand exactly what it was or, you know, they have a vague feeling that, yes, it was bad. We know it was bad, but not, you know, we haven't. For me, my parents sort of lived through this or, you know, my great uncles and these kinds of people. So it was part of my my education growing up. I think it's less so when for people of... Uh, PewDiePie's generation who are 10, 15 years younger. So anyway, that was my two cents on the thing. My rent's over. I just wanted to uh, put it out. Then you, I don't know if you guys want to comment. You don't have to. It's, it's just my uh, Patrick rent time. So, um, no, and, I enjoy it. Was good to oh, listen to. Thank you. Thank you. I, I try to make it, uh, to make these things interesting when I can. Um, no, I always like listening to people's opinions, so yeah, <laughs> let's get different perspectives. Um, yeah, I, basically, it, it it was uh, it started because a bunch of people in the gaming in my gaming circles were commenting on it on on Twitter, and it it got into a, a a very spirited conversation on Twitter, and we ended up mostly agreeing, which is you know it it can happen, and uh, ultimately we we all saw common ground. There you go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, all right, and that's going to be it for the show. Um, thank you so much uh, to both of you for being on. Would you want to say where we can find you if listeners want to get more of the dynamic duo of Ed and Dan? Um, <laughs> Daniel, why don't you start? Yeah, I mean, I guess the best place for me is just Twitter. That's where I am pretty much most of the time these days. Um, so my Twitter handle is... Uh, well, I mean, I, I guess you're just included in the yeah in a link, <laughs> in the in the in the description notes, yeah. below. That's Absol it. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's it. So, so it'll be there, and, and if you want to follow me, you can. Usually, I'm posting uh, random video game statistics and charts and all that nonsense. Yeah. So that's of interest. Yeah, fair enough. I absolutely recommend it. It's uh, interesting with every tweet. Um, so thank you very much, Daniel. Uh, Ed, what about yourself? Yeah, you can follow me personally on Twitter at uh, at Adesis. Uh, the The site that I work for is called Four Player Network at fourplayernetwork.com. We stream live every night on 4pp.tv or fourplayernetwork.com slash live. Uh, and we stream on, on Twitch to, um, and we try to stream a, a one of the people on the site streams every night and the the podcast for that is usually on thursday nights uh and i'm not personally on that podcast but i do a lot of behind the scenes work with for the website um to kind of keep it up keep it up and running 
And uh, but uh, the last week I played on on my personal day for streaming is on Mondays. And the last week I played uh, Resident Evil. And I think next week I promise to play some Valkyria Chronicles. So if either of those two things are interest, interesting to you, um, just come check out my stream for pp.tv on Mondays. There you go. And you'll find the link to the Twitter handle in the show notes, as always. For me, it's not Patrick on Twitter and on Facebook. Uh, you can also find this show. And if you enjoy talking about politics a little bit more than I did today, you can find The Phileas Club on uh, frenchspin.com. Both shows are available there. Uh, the Phileas Club is a show where we talk about uh, politics with an international perspective because we get people from different countries around the world, different cultures, to talk about the world's um, events. It's been focused on a certain topic a lot in recent uh, days. But even <laughs> then, you might get perspectives that you don't expect uh, on that show. I always try to mix it up a little bit. So um, go check that out if you're interested. Again, um, you can uh, also leave a review on iTunes, for example. Give us a few stars on iTunes. It helps us uh, get a little bit more visibility for potential future listeners. That is extremely helpful. So if you have a couple of minutes to waste, you can go do that on iTunes or your podcast uh, catalog of choice. And uh, yeah, that's going to be it. We will be back in about two weeks. Talk to you then. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.